Thanks, James. Thanks, buddy. Well, good morning. It's uh, good to be with you guys today. I'm actually looking forward to this. Good night. There's all sorts of treats this morning. I was looking back there, and uh, you've got regular coffee. You've got iced coffee. You've got all kinds of things. I thought, I wished I drank coffee, um, but I, I don't. You know, I'm not old enough to drink coffee yet, but one of these days. So, uh, you know, I'm going to look into that. Um, it's hopefully going to be a, a good time for us today as far as um, I want us to look. The, the subject today is one another, as you can see in uh, the excellent uh, graphics and stuff that Ian does. But um, what I want us to think about a little bit today is, is what describes a healthy church. And I want you to think a little bit about that because, you know, many times we've, we've kind of experienced, sometimes we've tasted what a healthy church looks like. We We've kind of seen that, uh, whether we've recognized it necessarily or not at the time, but we've, we've kind of experienced it. But a lot of times what you'll find is this. Many times church members can be very busy with the ministry aspects of church and the things that are going on, and they don't realize that in their own lives uh, they're slipping into kind of an unhealthy zone. Um, sometimes they're weighed down just with problems that are going on that they can't quite seem to solve, or other times it's just burdens that they can't quite seem to figure out how to get a grip on. Others, um, worship becomes just something they go to occasionally. You know, it's a, it's kind of a dull, lifeless, kind of predictable thing, and they, they just kind of come up and go through the motions. Others... Um, they would really feel like they're involved in fellowship, but if you look at it, their lives are little, if any, really involved with one another. And so what I want us to look at this morning is how do you change that? You know, has that always been the case? Is that kind of like, you know, it's just kind of how it is and you just kind of go through it? Well, it wasn't like that in the first century. In fact, it wasn't like that in in first several centuries. It wasn't like that at all. Now, the question that I want us to kind of dive into here is, what caused the first century church in about 32, 33 AD to go from this fledgling group of about 120 folks to over the next three centuries till about 350 AD they became this church of over 300 million followers. Over 300 million. Now, hear that well. In just three centuries, they went from a church that was like 120 to over 300 million followers. And what caused that? What would cause that? The simple answer is this. It was their one another culture. They're one another culture. And that's what I want us to look at today. On the night before his death, Jesus was talking to his disciples. And they ate and they had this uh, last supper together. And then as he's talking with them, he, he says this to them. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, in that you have love for one another. Now that verse brings something very much into sharp focus in our lives, and that is that our identity as followers of Christ is directly linked to the way we treat other people. 
Our identity as followers of Christ is directly linked to how we treat other people. When the way people are to recognize us, the way they're able to tell we are his followers is directly linked to how we treat other people. So the phrase one another that you see right here, it's, um, it's a little word in Greece, alelain, and it is translated as one another or with each other or one to another. And it comes into, in that context, it's over 50 times used in the New Testament. With that one command that Jesus gave there in John 13, he set into motion a movement that would totally reshape the world. You know, as these first century followers began to practice the one another's that he talked about there, they experienced a totally different kind of life that was noticeable not only to them, but to all the world around them. And what the Christians in the first century did, they made the one another's into just part of their weekly rhythm of life. They would go out in the world and let the warmth of those love-filled lives kind of spill over into the lives of others. And it was the living out of these one another's that drew the love-starved pagans of that generation into the kingdom like kids into a candy store. I mean, good night. They were just excited to be there. And the concern of Christians one anothering one another and the way that they shared their lives with the believers left the pagan world looking around and saying, man, we would love to have relationships like that. We would love to have community like that. And they had nothing that they could experience. Now, the 51 and other statements or commands in the, New, in the New Testament, they range from anywhere from love one another to greet one another to encourage one another to help one another to honor one another, on and on and on. In fact, in your program, you should have a list there that is arranged, and, and we'll talk a little bit about that more later. But you'll see there are some many one another. I think you have about 48 that are listed there within your program. But many times the one another's are taught about in church separately or, or together. Sometimes they're taught about. But rarely, rarely are they thought about. Rarely are they thought about and rarely are they given the time for you to look at them and for you to begin to think through, okay, how do you actually take that, dress it up in denim and put it to work? How do you do that? And that won't be true shortly, but we'll talk about that later. But, you know, that was brought to my attention this week. I was meeting with a guy and this guy told me, he said, you know, I don't think I'm good at encouraging. And I said, what brought this about? And he said, well, and he mentioned how one of um, the guys in, we had a, a thing uh, in February called the men's advance at USC because um, men don't retreat, they advance. And so we were there and we uh, got together. And as we were there, John uh, Hawkins was speaking to the group. And one of the things he was talking about was Hebrews 3.13. And he talked about how you need to encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, so that none of you are hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And this guy was referring to that verse, and he said, you know, I just don't think I'm very good at it. And I said, well, do you want to be? He goes, yeah. I said, not that hard. He goes, really? I said, no. And so we began to to, um, look at some things, and I just asked him this. I said, "Um, what are some things that have really encouraged you? I said, now you think in your own life, 
when you've been encouraged and others have helped you and they've encouraged you, what are some things that have really encouraged you? And as he began to think about it, he, he came up with like three things. The first one was this. He said, people noticing specific actions that he had taken and then taking the time to comment on them. And a lot of times those, those actions were things that were tied up with like a certain value he was trying to build into his life or, you know, he was wanting to really grow in an area and he was beginning to make progress. And someone would come up and they would note how a certain action that he had done or a certain, you know, a way that he had handled himself really, really um, furthered him in that area. And he said, that was really encouraging. So, okay, take note of this. So he's writing this down. You know, we're writing down things together. I said, what, what else? And he come up with another one. His second one was people taking time to take a personal interest in him. And now you guys know this as well. I mean, when, you know, you can be in around hundreds of people and yet feel like you're just alone. You feel like, you know, well, you know, you don't really matter. And all of a sudden, one person can begin to take a personal interest in you. And it changes your whole outlook on things. You know, I've got, I've got this one friend named Carolyn Teague. And honestly, Carolyn is the kind of gal that she can walk into a room of like 50 to 100 people and everyone after they've been around her will think they're the only person in the room. You know, I mean, she just has that ability to step into people's lives and, and to really make them feel like, you know, she's paying total attention to them. So that was his second one. His third one was people remembering things that he had talked about with them. Like maybe it was a comment he'd made about something he was going to do or maybe it was a prayer request. But people remembering things that he had said and then asking about those later. You know, they'd ask, hey, you know, the thing we were praying about, how did that, how did that go? Or, you know, you know, you said you were going to go do this. And, you know, how did that work out? And he said, people just remembering things. He goes, man, I just don't do that. And I said, well, okay, you know, I understand that. So I said, well, let me, let me ask you another thing. What characteristics do you think need to be present in your life? for you to encourage others in the same way. What kind of characteristics do you think need to be present in your life? And as he thought about it for a while, you know, he, he started thinking through the three things that we'd mentioned. And the first one that we'd mentioned about people noticing specifics and then commenting on them, you know, uh, he said, well, the first thing, you know, I'd have to take the time to get to know people and to get to know what are, what are the kind of values they're trying to build into their life. And I thought, okay. Okay. And then he said, you know, I, I I'd probably also need to pay attention to what they're doing, kind of uh, observe them. I said, okay, makes sense. I said, you know, honestly, what, you, what you're doing there, you want to just catch somebody doing something right. Usually people walk around trying to catch people doing something wrong. You know, you ought to have a mindset, I want to catch people doing something right, you know, and comment on that. And then the third thing, he said, just taking the time to actually, you know, say something to them. I said, do you think that takes a lot of time? He goes, well, I guess not. You know, maybe a minute, something like that. I think you got a minute. He said, yeah. I said, you know, if we check social media, would it tell me that you've had at least a minute today to check that? And he goes, yeah. I said, okay, okay. Yeah, I think, I think you're probably good. You got a minute. So he began to look at that. And then he looked at the second one. And in the second one, he determined... 
it isn't that people don't have time. The second one was, you know, people just taking time to take a personal interest. He realized it isn't that people don't have time. It's just they don't choose to prioritize it. They don't choose to prioritize people over things or people over stuff. And so he thought, okay, I, prioritizing people, that's, that's something I could do. I said, okay. And then the third, he determined, you know, um, he, he goes, I just, I just don't remember things well. I said, do you have that same problem in class? He goes, what? I go, do you have that same problem in class or you just kind of walk into class and think, if this is important, I'll remember it. He goes, well, no. So what do you do in class? He goes, write things down. Imagine that. He goes, I could write things down. You could write things down. This isn't that hard. You know, and so all of a sudden, to live out Hebrews 3.13 in his life, he found that it was a very simple thing. Do five simple things. Take the time to get to know people and their values. Pay attention. You know, actually catch them doing something right. Take the time to specifically comment about it. Make people a priority and write things down. Now, see, that's not that hard. It took us, I mean, we were sitting there talking. It took us all of about, you know, 15 minutes to sit there and talk through those things and go through. I mean, and he walked out of there with the clear thought that, you know what? Not only can I do this, I know how to do this, and and I'm going to do this. And I think, you know, that, that was a breakthrough moment for him. Now, let me tell you something just between me and you. Don't tell anybody else um, around you. But here's the thing. Sometimes we have kind of a crazy view, and it goes something like this. If I'm really serious, I'm really grateful for that car over there. God bless them. Um, so uh, sometimes you understand the Unabomber. But um, so, um, you know, you, um, you look, and sometimes this idea people have is if you're serious about growing in godliness, then what you have to do is you kind of go off by yourself, you go away from people, and you, you kind of live this meditative life. And if you do, then you'll really grow and become the person God wants you to be. I only have two problems with that. It's unbiblical, and it doesn't work. Other than that, I'm totally on board. You know, what you see is that in Scripture, it is the exact opposite. It is If you want to grow, you need people. You need people. You need to be around people if you want to grow. You need people with their needs and with their problems. Because Christ-likeness can only be worked out in you in the course of relating to others. Here's what Paul wrote in Ephesians 4. He said, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, Along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. How can you do those things without other people in your life? You know, the reality is you can't. You can't forgive if there aren't people around to offend you. You thought about that? You need people. In fact, you think, some people are great at helping me with that. Yeah, yeah. You can't learn to love people if there aren't, you know, people that are like extra grace required in your life sometimes, you know. 
You need those kind of people. You need people with their weaknesses and with their needs in order for you to mature. But you also need others so that you can experience the love and the grace and the forgiveness that God has given. So you can experience that firsthand for yourself. So God made us to need others, and the one another's are part of God's design. And to best figure out how to implement them in your life, you need to do that with others. So we're going to have an opportunity to work together. And some of you were thinking, would we get an opportunity this morning? Yes, you will. Thus, the one another's, you know, as you look at this right here, what I want you to do is this. I want you to kind of gather right there with like, you can gather with just a couple or you can gather with like three or let's not get crazy, you know, but I mean, you know, you can gather with a small group right there. And what I want us to do is this. I want us to look at one of the one another's it's in Romans sixteen sixteen. It says this, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, before some of you get too excited, I can see some of the guys, let me see where I'm going to sit. You know, I'm thinking, no, 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 no. Let me clarify let me clarify. Um, there are areas that are biblical and there are areas that reflect cultural norms, okay? See, there's certain parts of the world in which you live that there are norms that go with that. And there's other parts of the world, it's like not so much. And so, you know, what you want to do is you want to be able to differentiate those. There again, the emphasis here is not on find somebody to kiss. The emphasis here is greeting Greeting, it is brought up like five times amongst the one another's in the New Testament. Now, what I want you to do is as you're there in your group, and you're going to have a little bit of time to chat about this, but I want you to answer three questions. Why is greeting one another considered so important in the scriptures? What about greeting really makes your day. Well, you know, when someone greets you, when you walk up or when you walk into a building or you walk into, you know, class or you walk in, when you are greeted, what about that makes your day? Because I guarantee you, it probably makes someone else's day. And then what are ways you can greet others in a way that is culturally sensitive and biblically right? So, Find your group right now, and I want you to chat it up with them over the airplanes and everything else that happened to be going by. And I want you to answer those three questions, and I'll call us back here in just a minute. So find your group right now. You think, are we really going to do this? Like, right? Yes, we are right now. So find your group right there and begin to chat with them about this.
bless you.
It's okay. It's okay. I got my phone. Okay, let me, uh, let me begin to call us back together here, if I could. So, let me ask you a question. Um, what was, was that hard? Hard? No. I mean, not that hard, is it? Was, it, was that like, you know, in, intimidating or anything? I mean, talking with other people? No? No? And yet, what you find is, if you would just simply do things like that, you can begin to flesh those things out. You can begin to figure out, okay, how do you practically live these areas out? And then you can begin to put that into practice and watch your life and the lives of others around you and the life of the church itself actually begin to change in ways that you cannot imagine. In your program, there's a list there and it has like 48 verses. And those are grouped into kind of which, you know, the different one another's that you'll see there in scripture. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to use that list as a resource and take some time over time and with a small group, begin to figure out how do you take each one of those and how do you put that into practice in your life in such a way that it really begins to make a difference and that you can begin to one another, one another. Now, I, um, I really like coaches. In fact, those that know me well know that. You know, I, I, like, I like good coaches, even if they're from schools I don't really care for. Um, so we'll bring up Nick Saban. Um, so, you know, he is at one of those other schools. But Nick Saban is a good coach, and he has a, he has a basic philosophy that is one of the reasons Alabama has continued 
to go forward. And, you know, year after year after year after year, they continue to be good. And, you, you know, you begin to figure out his simple phrase is this. Focus on the process, not on the goal. Then the goal will take care of itself. And honestly, men and women, that is exactly right. Focus on the process, not on the goal. He says, you know what? We don't address um, the goal in practice each week. We don't talk about like national championships. What we talk about in, in practice is the process, the process. Translated, what that means for us is simply this. You want to be a healthy, growing Christian. You want to have a healthy, growing church. You don't focus on the goal. You focus on the process. You don't focus on, I want to be a healthy, growing Christian. What you focus on is the process required to be a healthy, growing Christian. You focus on the one another's. And what you'll find is, as you focus on the one another's, you become a healthy, growing Christian. What you find is, as you focus on the one another's, you become a healthy, growing church. So my encouragement to uh, us today is look at exactly what Jesus said. You know, love one another, serve one another over and over the one another's. Practice the one another's within the life of, of our church, and you'll see God do some amazing things. Let me pray for us, and I'll welcome the worship team back up. Father, thank you that um, you've made things so utterly simple for us to, uh, to follow, to grow, to, to see you really at work. And you've made it very clear. Thank you for the alelain that you uh, gave us there in your word, the one another's where you show us again and again your heart for how we would relate within the body and how we in turn would relate to a world around us that is starved for the kind of love and community that you've given to us. So, Father, would you help us to live that out in practical ways? And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.